Hey guys, I uh, have opportunity that I wanted to just make a short video in regards to a conversation I had earlier. Well, back and forth. Um, it was a conversation uh, in regards to, uh, I would say, culling. That's kind of how the conversation was um, in regards to culling and what used to work, you know, before uh and it's not maybe it's not working now um and what you need to do you know versus before you know and what you need to do now and it was a great conversation i think it was a it's a, it's a really great point that i think many times uh it's overlooked and what i mean by that is when is it time for you to adjust your selection process how much a role and it's the next part how much of a role of their history as far as bloodline or who their parents were how much of a role does that play in selection and then the last one is is how much does optimism play in your selection process um what's going on guys so you know that's what i wanted to talk about real quick because I think it's something that especially the next generation need to consider um, as far as when they're breeding their birds. You know, I know we hear a lot of times that people have been doing the same thing for the last 30, 40 years and it's been working. But in reality, have they really been doing things for the same 30 years? I actually think they have not. And what I mean by that is in general, the general scope of things they may have been doing the same for the last 20 or 30 years. But when you really look at the finer details, it's not, the, it's not exactly the same. It's not exactly the same. Um, so that, that, that's what I kind of want to talk about real quick. And, and the conversation that I was having through messenger back and forth was the fact that what my friend is doing today, uh, it's not working as well as it was, you know, some years ago. Um, and my response to him was the fact that I believe my personal experience and feelings is the fact that I think people hold on to things uh, that's not working too long. And what I mean by that is I think some of us raise hold on to birds longer than we should. But I made a video that I didn't really get, you know, a lot of engagement on and, and actually really not a whole bunch of. I mean, it was it was good comments, but I made a video uh, basically stating that you should run your farm like a business. And, you know, guys jumped all on me like, oh, man, you know, you ain't got to run this like a business. I don't I don't I, I do this for passion. I don't do this to make money. All this old kind of stuff, right? Look, this is the thing that's people confused on. If you run your farm like a business, a successful business, you'll be able to do what you love a lot longer. And still be able to pay the light bill, electric bill, and all that. A lot of guys are running their farms based on passion, which at the end of the day, a lot of it, they end up taking care of birds longer than they should. And I mean the wrong birds, not the right birds, the wrong birds. Because they're not really doing what I call a cost-benefit analysis. 
what is the cost for me to keep this bird and what is the benefit? And I think when you look at pull up those two points, cost benefit analysis, it loses guys. And guys jump on a passion train. I'm doing this for passion. Well, listen, passion don't pay a feed bill. Passion ain't paying a water bill. How much money are you taking out your bill money to put towards chickens that you probably shouldn't even be raising? How about that? Passion ain't got nothing to do with that. Actually, passion make you make a lot of wrong decisions because it's all pretty much based on emotion. It's a feel-good thing. You know, when somebody says, oh, this is my passion, it makes them feel good. Well, at the end of the day, if you're into something that has a financial cost, you got to add a little bit of business logic to it. There's nothing wrong with that. Adding business logic to something does not mean you in it for the profit. You can set up a business strategy to run your farm just to break even, just to have the chickens pay for themselves. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? So when you don't run your farm like a business, you end up keeping birds longer than you should. So let's look at some of the things that we can do that. Again, not saying you in this for business, but let's apply some business principles to your farm, which, again, will, will entails or include selection and culling and even purchasing. But, you know, and this is just for the ones that's open to the concept and the perspective. I'm not talking about the ones who's locked, cocked and loaded. They got it all figured out because they've been doing it 50 years. Let's talk about this. Yes, exactly. You know, one of the comments said, let's treat it as a business and put passion on top. Exactly. My point is this. If you run your farm like a business, then you'll be able to do your passion a lot longer. Even if you ran your farm so it can just break even. And I don't mean selling chickens. It can be just not taking care of the wrong chickens longer than you have to. That can create a break-even plan. So, again, for the guys that's open to the concept, just listen to what I'm saying before you discount it. Because it's not about making money or selling chickens or becoming a peddler and all of this other stuff. It's about what can I do? What adjustments can I make to increase my chances of success and minimize the out-of-pocket costs? That's all I'm saying. And two big parts of that is selection and culling. Those are two big parts. Because the cheapest price, the cheapest cost in a trio is the price to acquire them. Is when you go and buy a trio, that's the cheapest part. The cost comes raising a trio, breeding a trio, raising all the chicks out the trio. You know what I mean? That's where the cost comes in at. The cheapest cost, when you go pay that $1,500, whatever the cost is, that is the cheapest cost is the acquirement. It's the same thing with, you know, it's the same thing with buying a car. The cheapest cost with a car is buying it. You know, it's buying it in a lot of cases. The cost of a car is not just repairs. So, oh, well, it ain't got that many repairs. Well, how about car insurance? You know what I mean? When you add up all the costs, the cheapest car to get in a car is buying it. Same thing in GameFowl. 
So since guys don't run things, since guys don't run a farms with business in mind, and I don't mean as selling chickens, which is nothing wrong with that, but I don't mean as selling chickens, but when they don't apply a business strategy to their farm, you see guys overfeeding. You know, those guys running birds, running, running their farm on passion. You know, they got a lot of leftover feed on the ground. It don't matter to them. They just throw it on out there. I don't I don't see the benefit in throwing feed, more feed than a bird can eat. If chickens ain't eating feed, tell me what is the benefit of throwing all that extra feed. There is no benefit. There's a, a liability cost, you know, because a lot of times birds get sick from that, depending on what time of year it is. But if you was looking at your farm from a business strategy, you're not trying to give him a grain of feed more than what he needs because from a business perspective what is the benefit what is the benefit of throwing an extra half an ounce of feed in that pen that your chicken is not going to eat what is the benefit there is none what is the possible liability the chicken could probably get sick especially during rainy weather snow weather stuff like that feed get molded bury eat molded feed now he got the greens, bacteria infection, or something. So let's look at business strategy when it comes to selection. How can you add a business strategy to selection? Well, if you're not selecting well enough, that means it's taking you longer to accomplish your goal, which is creating your ideal chicken. So if it's taking you longer, to create your ideal chicken because you're not selecting correctly, then it has a cost because you're raising more chickens than you need to be raising. And I always hear, raise as many as you can so you can select out of that. I don't disagree with that. But I think culling needs to become, need to come right behind that. Raise as many as chickens as you can, but make sure you call extremely hard. And what I mean extremely hard is multiple aspects for that. <clears throat> that means calling based on reality, not optimism. See, many guys call based on optimism. Many guys call based on what they feel as though the birds going to be that's how they base their culling on you can base your culling on optimism and i promise you if you base your culling process on optimism you're going to be taking care of a lot you're going to be feeding a lot more birds than you have to be feeding and that was the gist of the conversation that me and my friend was having today and that because he asked me what my opinion was. And I told him I was going to make a video. I was going to reply to his message, but I'm also going to make a video about it because I'm pretty sure there's other people out there that's doing it, that's thinking the same thing or experiencing the same thing. I know for a fact there's a lot of birds out there. I made a video a long time ago, and guys, I didn't get a lot of engagement on it, but I told guys that I promise you on everybody's yard, you can get rid of 30% of your birds and it will not hurt your breeding program as long as you got rid of. The right 30%. On everybody's yard, you got about 30% more birds than you need for your program and then you need for, to, to accomplish your goal. I'm telling you, 
promise you, if you got 10 stags on there, I bet you three of them don't cut the mustard. I promise you. And then I'll hear these stories. Oh, I had seven brothers, and they was all this and that, and they was top-notch. I'm not doubting that. I'm not even questioning that. But how many times have you had all those brothers do that well? And say you always have all the brothers do equally as well, which I don't believe that. How many hens are you keeping that come out of that same hatch? That might be the 30% right there. The 70% might be all the stags. Your cost or your overage might be in the hens or the pullets. You might got 30% more pullets than you had. That's why I'm telling you, without a question of a doubt, everybody has 30% more birds than they need on their yard. Now, I'm not saying you have 30% of junk on your yard. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Don't take what I'm saying out of context. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you can eliminate 30% of the birds on your yard and it will not affect your program or your goals in a negative fashion. That's what I'm saying. So, and it's very important to, to, to listen. It makes a lot of sense. Go outside and sit on that bucket and tell me out of 10 birds, you can't find three that you're not 100% good with. <laughs> I bet you can find three. I bet you you can find three. But this uh, this topic ain't being talked about. Because everybody wants you to think that everything on their yard is good to go as top notch. Again, the 30% that I'm talking about may not be your stags. You might have 30% more hens than you need for your program. I know a bunch of y'all do. I know a bunch of y'all got a bunch of hens that does nothing but cause problems on the farm. So what I'm saying is, if you can eliminate 30% of the birds that you don't need, that's a business decision. That's 30% of birds you don't have to feed. You don't have to worm. You don't have to medicate. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to house. Now, instead of having, you know, 100 barrels filled, you only got 70. But the way things go is the more space people have, and if they got the finances, they're going to fill every single barrel up and keep it filled. They're going to fill every barrel, every pin, and keep it filled if they can financially do it. If they can financially do it. If you got birds on your yard, if you got birds on your yard and you feel as though they only worth 50 bucks and they're almost two years old, you really got to ask yourself, should you have raised that bird? That's all I'm asking. And again, I'm not saying a bird should be this price, that price, this price, that price. I'm just looking at what it costs to feed them and worm them. Maybe that $50 bird that's 18 months old only been wormed once and just been thrown, you know, scraps. I don't know. But just think about that. And not only that, Let's think about the fact that the amount of labor that has to go in. You got to feed them birds in the rain, in the snow, in the heat, and in the cold. You ever see somebody put some labor in building something and then say, oh, I ain't going to sell it? 
eventually their whole garage is going to be filled up with a whole bunch of stuff. They're going to have to get rid of some of that stuff. That's why they got yard sales and flea markets. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's just something to look at. I'm not telling nobody to, what to do or how to do it or anything like that. But the conversation that I was having today is if people added some little business strategy to their program, it will only benefit them. They will start to call hard. They will fine tune a selection process. And they will make sure they're maximizing their fee, meaning that they're getting every dollar out of it. If you look at somebody's yard and I got a bunch of overfed chickens, it's either that they don't know or they run in a farm based on passion. Either they don't know or they run in a farm based on passion. They're like, oh, a chicken is, is, you know, $3 for a bag. And, and let me tell you, if you think just because you're not looking at your farm from a business perspective, if you think because you ain't looking at your selection process from a business perspective or your culling process from a business perspective, you start to look at it when that feed bill start to go up. When you start to go there and them, and them $9 bags of feed are now $13 and $14, you start to look at it then. So if you run it based on passion, you wouldn't even care. You just keep throwing extra feed out there. So like I say, sometime by, you know, again, not looking at it from a business perspective, and if you got plenty of money, you just keep going out there, buy more chickens, feed more chickens, and that, that doesn't increase your, your success rate. That doesn't increase your success rate. Actually, what my personal perspective is on it, I actually think it takes the it takes extremely valuable time and effort and money away from the ones that should be fed. You know what I mean? If you go to poultry houses, they not feed no unproductive chickens. But in game fowl, we okay with feed unproductive chickens. Either because of a particular wing band or the one everybody want to jump on. Passion. I'm doing this for passion. I'm doing passion. It's been my passion. Man, just because you run your farm with some business perspective behind it, that don't mean you get rid of the passion. It's not a zero-sum game. It don't mean if you adopt one, you can't adopt the other. In my opinion, a good business plan behind your farm increases the chances of you your success and allow you to practice your passion a lot longer. But as soon as I say business, the first thing guys come out their mouth with, oh, I don't sell chickens. Who says something about selling chickens? I'm talking about stop feeding chickens that you don't need to be feeding. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So how much time are you spending on chickens that shouldn't even be on your farm? And if you got chickens that shouldn't be on your farm, If you got chickens that shouldn't be on your farm and they're 18 months old, that's a reflection of your selection and your calling process if they don't work out. Like if you realize at 18 months that you don't like this bird, don't blame it on a bird. You got to look at yourself and say, what did I miss? How could I have? How can I how can I adjust my selection process 
and my standards for culling? How can I adjust my selection process and adjust my standard for culling? This is why the, this is how these two things separate. Adjusting your selection process, meaning that what didn't I identify at six months, eight months, 10 months, 12 months, 14 months, that it took 18 months for me to catch. That's how reverse engineer it. Saying what does he have at 18 months that I what defect or what that I don't like about this bird at 18 months that I probably could identify at 12 months. Think about that. What? Or is it things that they exhibit that you can only find out at 18 months? Okay. If somebody say that. All right. Let's roll with that. So just make sure at the 18-month deadline or timeline, you select based on your standards. And if he does not meet your standards, then call him. Don't have them on there at the 22-month mark because I know some guys that say, oh, I got cold birds or they don't mature. Into certain... Okay, I'm not, I'm not doubting any of that. And what I'm saying is I'm trying to answer all the questions so we can prevent from having these rebuttals. So if you got slow, you know, your birds mature slow or they grow slow or they hatch slow or they breathe slow. If everything is slow, 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 slow. OK, so what is the ideal age? Is the ideal age eight months, 12 months, 14 months, 18 months? Some guys say. My birds don't act right in today, too. Okay, let's roll with two. So at the two-year mark, if he does not meet your standards on selection, your selection standards, then he needs to be called. That's all I'm saying. Why? Okay, why have a bird that you stated that you really can't evaluate them into the two-year mark. Why have him on there? Why have him twenty-six months? Why have him twenty? Why feed him an extra four months? So what I'm saying to you is, I'm not telling you to do anything based on my standards. I'm saying take your standards, refine your standards, and add a little business to your program, and it'll give you a whole different perspective. If an automaker, if a tire manufacturer, they create tires, and they rate the tires based on speed, right? Based on speed. So if this is a 60, say if this is an 80-mile tire, 80-mile-per-hour tire that don't have any vibration, anything like that, they don't evaluate the tire at 60 miles an hour. They don't evaluate the tire at 60 miles an hour. They don't evaluate the tire at 70 miles an hour. They don't evaluate the tire at 76 miles an hour, at 78 miles an hour. They evaluate the tire at 80 miles an hour. And if that tire is not producing up to the standards that it was designed for, at 80 miles an hour, which they said, they said that this is an 80 mile an hour tire. 
if that tire does not perform based on their expectations at 80 miles an hour, which is the mile per hour they designed it for, then they eliminate that design. They don't sell a tire unless somebody go out there and drive it at 90 miles an hour or 100 miles an hour. They tell you the tire is designed for 80 because it was it been checked at 80. The measuring stone is at 80. So apply that same concept to your birds. They can say, oh, the tire is rubber, and I'm pretty sure somebody can go out there and drive it at 100 miles an hour without it being blown up. That's correct. I'm pretty sure they can. But based on the expectations of performance of that tire, it's not rated at 100 miles an hour. It's rated at 80. They're not, the tire manufacturer is not comparing their 80-mile-an-hour tire to a Formula One tire that can go 260 miles an hour. They're not doing that. So what, what I'm saying is, is look at it from that perspective. Don't let nobody talk you into or making you choose between passion and business perspective. They go hand in hand. One support the other. One support the other. So, the reason why you need to fine-tune your selection process and your culling process so you're not feeding unnecessary birds for an unnecessary amount of time. Why? Because that's more time and more money that you can put towards the birds that meet your expectation. That's all I'm saying. And if something worked five years ago, six years ago, but yet you see it's not working five or six years later, adjust your selection and your culling process. Don't continue on doing it because your granddaddy did it. That's all I'm saying. If guys would really listen to what I'm saying, I am preaching a perspective. Everybody's situation is unique. I'm talking about a concept. And I want y'all to look at this from a different perspective. Everybody is priding themselves on these terms of passion, passion, passion. But then when you go in their yard and look, there's no business perspective about it. And applying a business concept to your breeding program just allows you to, you know, do what you do what you love to do for a longer period of time with a higher rate of success. That's all it does. And I'm saying this because I see a lot of the generation upcoming is not being taught that. They're being taught just to go out there, work hard, bust water cups, get your feed, work in the snow, let everybody see how hard you work in bad weather, freezing cold, all that. I hear all that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a part of it. And you got to have passion to go through all that. But at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with adding a business perspective to your program. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, uh, the more people that understand it, the better. Um, and the better you understand it, the longer you'll be able to do what you're doing. You know? Um, middle Georgia, you came in on the a, on a, on a end of it. So it, at the beginning of the video, we, talk, we talked about that already. Um, 
If y'all guys have just came in, you know, I encourage y'all when I'm finished to watch the whole video and post your comments in the comment section. Let me know what you think. But that's all I wanted to come on here for. I wanted to share that. Uh, I think is extremely important. Uh, hopefully the next generation will start to look at it from a different perspective and understand that this is not a zero-sum game uh, just because uh, they have passion for something and they don't sell chickens for profit doesn't mean that they shouldn't add a business perspective to their farm. That's it. And I hear a lot of people talk trash about the big farms. Well, you know what? One thing them big farms do is they do color a lot. And I know guys are like, oh, no, they don't. They sell everything they call it. Well, you know, I don't know. Just the ones that I've been to. The ones I've been to, they have heaps of, of call birds because they know it costs too much to feed them. And they already know the backlash they're going to get if, if they sell them. So they definitely got a business perspective in mind. They ain't got no extra feed in the bottom of those pins. <laughs> ain't no extra feed in the bottom of those pins. Because it costs. You can't overfeed a thousand stags. You know what I mean? You 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 shouldn't be overfeeding a thousand. Imagine what a thousand stags is going to cost you. If you just do an ounce a day. A thousand ounces a day. Times seven days a week. 365 days in a year, and 30% of that was to birds that should have been called anyway. So, again, just to reiterate, business perspective on your farm. If you add business perspective on your farm, it will allow you to do your passion a lot longer with a higher rate of success. How? Because you won't be feeding birds longer than you have to feed them. If you find yourself years down the road feeding, getting, not getting the results that you want, then that means you've been feeding the wrong birds. So what you got to do is you have to reverse engineer it and reflect upon your selection process. What your selection process was five years ago may not cut the mustard today. May not cut the mustard today. And you have to understand that many guys do not want to embrace change. Because they are so locked into this theory, if it ain't fixed, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, in anything competitive, it's always change. Everything is always evolving, just like the laws of nature. Everything is always evolving. And when many people say they've been doing something for the last 30 years, if you overall they have been, but if you look at the finer details, it's changed. It's changed. And the same thing go with keeps, but that's for a whole nother video. Maybe I'll do a video on that. But uh, but again, guys, if you just chimed in, um, I, I suggest that you know you look at the whole whole video and uh, like I say, you know, post your comments in the comment section. But you know, again, I'm just bringing a different perspective because uh, what's what's been working may not always work. Um, what can you do to increase your chances of success? And, and, and be able to, to afford to do your passion longer is just add a little bit of business perspective to your program as far as making sure you're not overfeeding, making sure you're trying to keep the birds as healthy as possible because it's cheaper to keep them healthy than to nurse them back to health. And uh, make sure your selection process is fine-tuned because you want to make sure that, you know, when you do keep them to 12 months, 18 months, 16 months, 22 months, 24 months, that they turn out to be what you thought they was going to be. Um, and then again, make sure you have standards in place from the year, the age, 
you know, what type of characteristics that you're looking for. Make sure you have your standards in place. And if those birds don't meet that standard, they need to be cold. You know what I mean? And it's just that simple. And I can give you 100,000 analogies of successful businesses from animals to anything else. To anything else. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I'm just looking at some of the comments. So, like I say, guys, I just want to come over here and just and just share some share my opinion and my perspective on on this topic, because I think it's extremely important because, again, y'all guys know I go to a lot of farms all over the place. And, uh, and even myself, you, you know, these are the kind of things I just learned from experience. But these are lessons that I learned outside of chickens that I apply to the chickens. And the concept is the same. The concept is the same. We even have, you know, I talk with uh, uh, one of the guys we interviewed. And I think one of them said he only has four hens. And four hens is enough for him to, uh, you know, produce the amount of uh, 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 birds that he needs. Um, the family gives him. Yeah, so, you know, I was just, I'm sorry, just reading some of the comments, but he talks about, you know, having four hens, and four hens gives him, you know, the amount of birds that he needs. Well, he just said him. He's not telling everybody else to cut their yard down to four hens. He's just saying how many hens he needs. The point you should get out of that is not how many hens. What you should get out of that is, is how he determined how many hens he needed and how he determined on what hens. Because I go to some guys' houses, man, they have a man, they have almost as many hens. Some of them have more hens than they have stags. And you know what's amazing about that is they already know for a hundred percent fact half of those hens they don't even plan on breeding. Think about that. So when I say you got about 30% of birds on your yard that you sh that you don't have to, you know, that you can eliminate and it will not negatively affect your breeding program, it's the truth. It might not be 30% of your stags. It might be 30% of your hens. I'm saying overall and the total, if you got 70, <clears throat> if you got, say, 55 stags and 45 hens, the 30% might be found in your hens. Or 20% might be found in your hens and 10% might be found in your stags. So I see it all the time. And I know guys say, oh, well, I want to let my blood out. Cull it. If you don't want to cull it, find a guy out there that can probably use it. You know, I know in the dog game, a lot of guys would farm dogs out to people. You know, they would farm dogs. I have some friend of mine that import a lot of dogs, a lot of working dogs from Europe. And uh, and and when they do breedings a lot of the times, they don't sell any of them. They farm them out. They farm them out. Or they might sell three or four and they farm the rest out. Or they might sell all of them besides the ones they want to keep and the ones they want to keep, they farm them out. So if you don't want to cull them, then farm them out or something, but don't keep feeding them. Yep. 
And give me a second, guys. I just want to read some of these comments. There's been some great comments coming in. Okay, let's see here. Lewis, Lewis, I think, Jim, the only person that honestly talks like part of the family, giving the best advice he can think about it is deep people like it or not. It's not the truth. Yeah, they either like it or, or they don't believe it, one or the other. Um, you got to understand when you get advice, the right advice is not maybe not the advice that you may always want to hear. And sometimes the right advice, you don't even understand it. You don't grasp it at that time. It might take an experience, a life experience in order for you to grasp it. Um, let me see here. So. Yeah, two cocks and four hens. Yeah, so so like I say, guys, a lot of great comments coming in. Hagamimo. Well, you know, what's my selection process on the hens? I like, you know, again, it's all different, really, what, what you're looking for. And to be all honest, the only person selection process that should be important to you is, a, is the person that you're trying to emulate. This is what I'm saying. If a guy has some birds that I really don't even like, I'm not saying they're good or bad. They're just not my taste. His selection process does not even matter to me because why should his selection process be important to me when he had what he's creating out of his selection process is not what i like so how somebody only person selection process that should be important to you is the person that's creating the birds that you want to create Freddie, Howard, Tom, Rico, Pablo, Jim, nobody's selection process matter except the person that owns and produces birds that you trying to emulate. That's the only person selection process that matters. That's the only person selection process that matters. Nobody else selection process matters. Period. Let me give you an extreme example. If you don't breed Orientals, right? If you don't breed Orientals and you just breed American fowl, would it matter what a top-level breeder of Oriental fowl, would it matter what his selection process is? It's not going to matter. Because what he's selecting for, you're not going to be selected for. Because y'all created two different birds. With two different purposes. It's the same thing. In every other sport of birds. Look at horses. Is a quarter horse breeder selection process. Important to somebody who breeds thoroughbreds. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters. Is. Learning the selection process. Of the person that you are trying to emulate. Let me give you a prime example. Some a little, just a, just a, a thought that I'm going to put out there. I'm not going to say his advice or anything like that. If you don't know what your selection process should be, let's, re, let's reverse engineer this. If you don't know how to select, right, this is one thing I think every person breeding chickens should have. 
if they haven't already created it. If you have not created, you should have a picture of what your ideal bird looks like. Even if you got it off of social media, even if you got it off of social media, you should have a picture of what your ideal bird looks like if you have not already created it. And if you have created it, take a picture of it still and see if it has changed over the years. Some, some of them haven't. Some guys' birds look the same they did 20, 25 years ago. So that's maybe a person you can learn from. But again, get a picture of your ideal bird. And with that picture, if you can find the owner of that bird that can consistently produces those birds, and all of his birds look like that, then I'm not saying go buy a trio. I'm not saying go to his farm and just buy his birds because that's only one part of the process. You can buy his birds. But what you really need to know is what does he take in consideration during his selection process? That's what's important. Not just going to buy the blood because you can have the trio and you and him can have a trio out the same pen, out of his pen. And I promise you, if he doesn't share with you what he taking in consideration in selection, not saying you won't get it. If you ever do get it, it's going to take you a lot longer to get it. So, you know, again, have a picture of what your ideal bird looks like. See if you can find an owner of an ideal bird. If you can't, maybe you can get advice from other breeders, reputable breeders, who breed consistently looking birds with consistent characteristics and ask them what they take in consideration if they have the birds that you like. Because if not, the selection process is not going to work. Because there are some general things. Wide back, narrow back, long legs, short legs, medium station, high station, you know, legs right up under the body, everything within balance. Those are all generalized ideas. You know, those are all generalized concepts. Those are all generalized concepts. You know, you got to ask the questions. Okay, you looking for that? Those are his that you're looking for. Then take a look at what birds they have in a brood pen. Because you can learn a lot about what a person's selection process is by looking at their brood pins there it is that's their selection process take a picture of that so when you start to go to your selection process select the ones that look as closest to the ones out of that brood pin as possible some guys forget what the brood pin even look like they have an idea but they don't really know factual like hard fact they don't really know they really don't know. I'm really sharing some knowledge with, with, with the ones, again, who ain't been doing it 75 years and already got it all figured out. I'm saying the ones out there that's still learning. And I know I just smashed up two concepts, I mean, two topics in one video. But that's something you should think of. Actually, it's all the same. It's all the same. Because the better you start to select, you know, the better you start select, selecting, 
then you'll increase your calls. You know, I ain't going to say increase your calls, but you'll feed less birds than you have to be feeding. So that all ties into what I was just saying at the beginning. Middle Georgia, you can post it in the comment section. I think in the comment section, it'll allow you to put a picture. I'm just reading some of these comments. Uh, Roger, uh, Roger Robinson said, if you like a certain family of birds you like from a certain breeder, ask him how he select. Yeah, that's exactly what we just talked about. Yep. That's what it is. You find a breeder that you like producing the birds that you produce and ask him, you know, what he take in consideration. And, and, you know, again, just take, take a look at some of his brood pens. You know, if he can't tell you, look at his brood pens. And then even if he do tell you, look at his brood pens. Don't look at that pen over there with all those extra hens. Don't look at that pen. Don't look at the hens that's running around the yard all scot-free unless they're hens that he released on the off-season and then pin up during the breeding season. But if they're not the hens that he's breeding, don't even pay no mind to them. You know, even when you're doing farm visits, you got to go there with, you know, you got to go there uh, with, you know, a, a, a goal. You know, not just to go out there and look at chickens. You know what I mean? Go out there with a goal. What is your goal? I want to go out here and buy a trio. Okay, and what else? Because it's going to take more than a trio. I want to go out there and try to pick his brain. Well, you know what? Sometimes a lot of these guys don't have time for everybody to pick their brain. Because you got to understand that not only you trying to pick the person's brain, a thousand other people trying to pick the person's brain as well. And they got lives and stuff like that. They ain't got time to answer everybody's questions. So what I say is go on their page and see if you can look at their brood pens, do pictures, if you can't do a visit. That's it. And that'll give you some ideas uh, on some stuff. You know, that'll give you some ideas on some stuff. Yep. And and again, guys, I always say, and, and uh, you know, we talked about this. And I can tell you right now, if you don't know, you can go to the Journey to the Pit interviews and you'll learn it. You know, and, and I know most to everybody has already bought in trios. But if you still haven't created your ideal bird, uh, there's a lot that you can learn from these Journey to the Pit interviews on genetics and stuff like that. And then you just apply it to your to your situation. You know, you can apply it to your situation. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and, I, and I know a lot of guys don't take the time to watch the interviews because if it's, all, it's not all, you know, entertaining, it's long form interviews. But uh, long form interviews are long form for a reason, because the point is not to entertain you. The point is to educate you. That's why they long form. They're not short videos. And I understand that, you know, people, they say, oh, people don't have the attention span. Somebody that's really trying to learn something has the, the attention span for what they're trying to learn. If somebody's trying to be entertained, yeah, humans don't have a long attention span uh, for entertainment. But if you're really trying to learn something, you got a longer attention span. Because you're really trying to learn it. So that was just some stuff I wanted to share tonight, guys. Uh, I am also going to post this video over to YouTube, um, and I'm going to post it on a podcast, the audio on a podcast, so y'all guys can listen to it. But again, if y'all got any questions, y'all can post it down in the comments. I'll ask them as best as possible. And, uh, and just to the guys who think, you know, I try to evade questions. I don't evade questions. 
I just don't try to follow the trends and answer questions that really don't apply. You see what I'm saying? Like people just feel as though they got to answer everything. Some stuff I just can't give you the answer to. Some stuff you got to figure it out uh, on your own. You know, I'll give you the concept and uh, and then you figure it out on your own. Um, but other than that, that that's, that's pretty much it. Um, so I hope, you know, again, the, the part that I said about, you know, what is your ideal uh, selection process? You know, I hope what I told you makes a lot of sense. Ask the man who you like, you know, his birds, you know, and ask him what his selection process is. If he can't tell you, get on his Facebook or whatever and look at his pictures and see what you see. That'll tell you what his selection process is. Uh, don't look at the hens that's running around on a yard unless those are the free-ranging hens. I mean, the, the hens that he let run free on the off-season. You know, if they're not those hens, then don't pay no mind to them. I just see a lot of people go to farms and get very little out of it. Get very little out of the visit besides some birds that they brought. You know what I mean? Yeah, Jay. No. And Jay is saying, <laughs> and I agree with this as well as also, uh, Jay is saying that uh, 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 lots of people expect to get answers instead of working to find and get the answers. Pure laziness. Now, there is some ones out there that it is pure laziness, I have to say. Um, and it's a lot of people addicted to just information. You know, you got a lot of guys that ask 700,000 questions and they never try anything. You know, and you wonder, like, what are you still learning all this stuff for? Why do you keep asking all these questions and you're not doing anything with it? Well, some people are addicted to that and because they like to have an answer to everything. And they like to try to know as much as they can know. You know, I don't think information information is only, like, oh, information is power. Well, information is only power if it's, a, if it's applied. If it's not applied, it don't mean anything. So, um, but yeah, I hope that it makes sense, guys. Like I said, if you got any other questions, uh, post them in the comment section. I'll get to them. I'll try to answer them. Uh, I'm going to upload this um, and get it up. Hopefully, it made sense. Hopefully, all guys learned something out of it. But I just kind of want to share my perspective. Um, you know, I just wanted to kind of share my perspective on a couple of things because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, again, we have to prepare the next generation. And I don't see a lot of effort uh, being put into that, which is fine because Journey to the Pit is able to fill that void that is there um so that's pretty much it and just to let y'all guys know i will be posting tomorrow uh the interview for this coming friday so i'll talk to y'all guys soon have a great evening